Hello, welcome to What About Us? Cultural Awareness in Clinical Psychology. My name's Kate Cooper and we're really pleased to have another episode today, finally. We are so lucky to be joined by Dr Nancy Ensia. She's a clinical psychologist who works in London in a health psychology role and she talks to us today about her Ghanaian heritage and how her experiences of feeling different within a clinical psychology profession have helped her to look for the hidden stories of her patients whether that's around their faith or cultural identities. Nancy also talked to me about a model that she uses when she's trying to understand diversity for her patients but also in her working relationships with colleagues Um, and it's a social change ecosystem model but I will allow Nancy to introduce it, she's going to do a much better job than I can. So over to the interview. Great. So, Nancy, thank you so much for joining the What About Us podcast today. I just wondered if you could start off by introducing yourself. Thanks for having me. So, I'm uh, Dr. Nancy Insia. I'm a highly specialist clinical psychologist. I work in the physical health sector, specifically with um, the families of those who have had an advanced or palliative care um, diagnosis of cancer. Yeah, and you were just telling me before we started that you've got a new job, so congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you. So I wondered if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about about your background and kind of what interests you about diversity in clinical psychology. Yeah, so um, I'm of Ghanaian heritage. My parents immigrated over, and I always noticed that whenever anybody in my community would talk about what's going on for them, there would be a leaning towards describing physical symptoms. Oh, I've got a headache, my back hurts. But actually to describe using words like feeling stressed or feeling worried or anxious just wasn't, it wasn't the way. And I became really curious around how we make sense of our mental well-being, uh, the use of language around that. And this just kind of pushed me into finding out a little bit more about mental health and subsequently clinical psychology. But my introduction to clinical psychology was very much a don't bother applying. There's not many people who are black in clinical psychology. So therefore, you know, there's no point kind of competing or trying to apply. I hear that and I hear it as a challenge as rather than putting me off. So, um, yeah, by God's grace, I got onto the course and wanted to focus on working within physical health, because actually when people walk into a physical health hospital, they're probably less likely to expect to see a clinical psychologist um, or think about their mental health in that way. But I think it offers that natural bridge to break the silos between physical and mental health. Mm, that's great to hear that um, it kind of created uh, the fight in you when you were told that there weren't enough black clinical psychologists rather than putting you off because I know for a lot of people that is a a point at which they might feel disheartened and less less able to get into the career yeah absolutely Mm. I'm just intrigued about what you said um about your kind of very early stages of your journey into clinical psychology as well which is that you noticed that there weren't really the words to describe um psychological distress um and that 
that exploring that was a way that you kind of moved towards your interest in clinical psychology. I just wondered if you could tell me a little bit more about those early stages. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, I mean, in terms of navigating a career, I definitely was brought up with, could you be one of the three, a medical doctor, a lawyer or an accountant? And I was like, oh, I don't like touching people. So it's not gonna be a medical doctor. I hate numbers, so it's definitely not gonna be accountant. A lawyer, mm, I don't know. It just, it just didn't fit for me. So thinking about things that could marry up this sense of looking after your well-being um, and just being able to kind of, yeah, support people in their health and thinking about ways of coping, especially when faith was a really big um, coping strategy within my community, my church community. It was just really thinking about ways in which people can speak to that. You know, going to your GP, would you mention that, you know, you really you're praying for God to heal that heal you or would you be censoring parts of your story and your experience because you feel it's not welcomed when you go to particular um, healthcare um, professionals so that just made me really intrigued um, and also I guess it opens up a lens where I become very attuned to how I can explore those stories that might be hidden or people may feel like they don't have permission to say how can I create those cultural opportunities for them to lean into talking about what's important for them. Mm. And you still got the doctor title, even if you're not a medical I mean, doctor. That definitely helps. That <laughs> definitely helps for sure. <laughs> that won my parents over. Yeah. <laughs> Good to hear it. <laughs> but just just going back to what you were saying, I'm intrigued about this idea of hidden stories and that faith might actually be something that people don't feel comfortable to talk about in a kind of consultation with a medical or mental health professional. That's a really important insight, I think, for our listeners. Yeah, it, it makes me think about ways in which we can just naturally explore it by, for example, either in a proactive way, perhaps naming, you know, we know that some people kind of cope using a, a variety of different strategies and resources. Some people use faith. Is that something that's important to you? Just a simple question like that helps someone to realize, oh, I can talk about that here versus or perhaps a more reactive way where we might be listening out to the words that somebody might say about feeling kind of, um, uh, so for example, if someone was talking about being disappointed in God they had believed and had faith that things would be different etc when you're hearing those words it's just kind of being like oh could I just ask a little bit more about that is faith important to you you know trying to pick up on the language they may be using but it's really easy for us to overlook if we're not thinking about faith as the primary lens yeah absolutely and we might not even pick up on those words that people are using if that's not not something that we're thinking about actively yeah. in the session um, so it's yeah really useful tip thank you and are there other kind of hidden stories that you're keeping an eye out for in your work with in your clinical psychology work oh I feel like I've constantly been drawn to just stories around difference um where somebody feels different or they've had a different way of coping or um whatever it might be I'm just I think being curious is the best way to kind of describe ways of unpacking those stories. So whether that's around um, racial experiences, whether that's about kind of thinking about how being an immigrant, for example, may have shaped how they make sense of the world or being a child of an immigrant and that tension between kind of your parents' culture and faith and then you trying to navigate uh, a new country 
alongside of that. So I'm always curious around those different layers to people's um, journey um, and how they make sense of their experiences. Mm, and I'm really struck listening to you say that about the similarity between your experiences earlier in your career mm. of not seeing black clinical psychologists being told that it was a career path but it wasn't worth trying to pursue mm. um, because of your identity and because of the lack of representation in the profession and then that that's something that you're look that now looking out for in patients those those similar feelings of difference um, yeah. and of navigating different cultural identities absolutely yeah is that something that kind of ever is your identity explicitly coming up in your work with other people or is it more of an implicit I think it's both. I think the implicit in kind of which lens I might look at. So you can't visibly see I'm a Christian, for example. Mm. Um, but me being attuned to thinking about, oh, will faith be something that somebody might explore or spirituality mm. might be something that someone explore. And then obviously the more visible, explicit kind of um, differences in terms of you can see from my skin color that I'm different in terms of being black. Um, and those things not necessarily having to be spoken but yet you can feel the difference perhaps when you know you might see someone and their shoulders drop just being like oh yeah I didn't know who I was gonna get but okay and then they hear your voice and it's a little bit of a South London you know twang in there and they're like oh I didn't expect that and you know just challenging ideas around what therapy could be and um yeah what a therapist looks like etc so I think there's definitely hidden and un unhidden that's the word, uh, explicit and um, implicit sort of um, differences that are explored. Okay, so that's really interesting. And I, I just wondered, um, how did you navigate those kind of implicit and explicit differences um, and identities when you started your clinical psychology training? Yeah, um, so I trained at Surrey and I, um, I think it was one of the, the moments, because I've always grown up in South London, it's extremely diverse, and I haven't always been um, uh, cognizant of my race as, as, as a factor, because just everyone around me was always so different. But I noticed how much more I was attuned to that um, difference on training, because there were very few um, people who were black and kind of global majority kind of background. Um, on the training course, but I also noticed wanting to really fit in and really wanting to not draw attention to that because that would highlight a difference. Um, but I started to notice over training, there's so many differences and actually that could really enrich the way that we learn rather than it being something that we have to be, um, we all have to be the same. And I think Surrey really bred that, this real sense of we're not trying to create robots. We want you, we want your personality to shine through. We want your interests. And that really allowed me to maybe become more confident in speaking about ways in which these models might be applied or ways in which um, we could think differently about the ways that we work with people who come from different cultural, racial backgrounds. Um, and although that was a challenge, because uh, I often felt like I was the only one ever speaking to that, um, it was very enriching and led to kind of lots of good conversations and improving my own confidence around speaking out when it feels like a different topic from what everyone else might be thinking about. 
So it sounds like you went on really quite a positive journey um, through your clinical training of, of seeing how difference could be enriching for your patients and um, for your clinical work. I'm just really interested in what that process looked like from at the start feeling this real need to fit in um, and maybe hide some of your um, different cultural experiences to other people and then how how that shifted to this position of actually this could be a really useful thing in my clinical work and I don't need to be a robot who's trying to appear to be the same as everybody else. I wouldn't say it was a positive experience I think now oh. I can look back I could probably be like oh, okay these bits were enriching this is good I think at times it was painful and times it was very frustrating in terms of what that looked like it may have been for example not talking about difference um not visibly naming uh things that might feel really challenging so just not being the disruptor basically um and trying where possible to just either stay quiet but still feeling really frustrated inside that there wasn't an, an attentiveness to some of these experiences um and then growing more into my disruptor role um but finding a way that fits me in how I do that. So there's a model by Deepa Iyer, which is called the social change ecosystem, which I absolutely love. And it's a great way of being able to think about the different ways that we embody social change roles. And if you think about an ecosystem, right, with there's multiple roles, so there's multiple kind of organ organisms or they all work together. And when one is off, then the rest of it kind of falls out of sync. So this model kind of talks about 10 different ways that we can engage in it. And the disruptor role really spoke to something I noticed myself often doing growing up, being the one to ask those questions and to kind of be like, but why? And it got, it got me in a lot of trouble. And so <laughs> I had to kind of learn how to navigate being curious and creating conversations around difference, but still respecting my cultural um, values around not challenging elders, et cetera. And so I found that by being curious and asking questions um, in a respectful way um, allowed me to be able to get people to engage in those conversations better than me kind of just saying out front, well, no, that doesn't work, does it? People don't take too kindly to that. So that was something I adopted within my clinical training, um, kind of starting to ask questions, starting to kind of learn to be braver about saying things that would allow people to maybe think about a difference or to tell a story, to think about stories around either people who I've worked with or my own experiences. So that's another role in the social change ecosystem, which is about um, uh, a storyteller role. It's thinking about perhaps, perhaps you're not the disruptor in the meeting, the one that kind of calls things out. That's fine. Maybe you're the one who, really thinks about how do you center the stories of those who are constantly marginalized? How can you do that either in a creative way? So like, for example, in research, we do that in clinical psychology, don't we? We use our research to tell stories about practices and ways of working with people. Um, or if you're a bit more creative and might be thinking about this podcast, that's a form of uh, storytelling. You know, people come and they share their experiences and they can learn from that. Um, I also took on a more of a guide role, so teaching, mentoring, that was something that I noticed uh, I just gravitated towards, um, being able to help people to understand maybe different models um, or just different ways of working um, through bringing vignettes, case studies, or mentoring by just allowing people to kind of, using my own experiences, 
to help navigate um, or to support those who may be going through the same experiences. Mm, that's really interesting to hear you describe those two roles because it makes me think actually if you're from a minority ethnic group if you're black and you're taking that guide role on how possible is it just to be a guide or do you actually by default then have to be a disruptor as well to some extent if if those kind of elements of cultural diversity and difference just aren't being explored aren't being discussed in your clinical training mm, yeah but I, I think that what I love about this model is that you can because for example being the guide can be exhausting like in the height of the Black Lives Matter if you're the one that's constantly having to educate people it could just be like actually I'm done with that I don't need to do that but I noticed it also sat really uncomfortably with me being like, oh, but what can I do, right? What, what, how am I making a difference? How am I creating that change? And so acknowledging that I hold skills in other areas of this model by recognizing, yeah, I can be a disruptor or I could be a storyteller or I could be a caregiver. I could be those, the person that looks after those who may be experiencing harm. Um, it allowed me to recognize I'm still holding onto those threads but I'm not allowing myself to be defined and to force myself into one role, which sometimes doesn't fit our um, practices, doesn't fit our, our energy levels, doesn't fit the context that we're in at that time. And that's absolutely fine. But I'm very committed to taking it from moments to movement and just thinking about perhaps using those different roles as a way of moving us to have kind of culturally sensitive practices every day, rather than just when there's a catalyst event. Absolutely, that's so important to keep that direction of travel, isn't it? And it's, it's really interesting listening to you talk. There's something I think quite containing and useful about having these different names for the different roles, like the disruptor role, because actually what you described around your experience of being in the disruptor role, we've had lots of our guests discuss similar experiences of um, maybe having to navigate their cultural identities within the clinical psychology identity where there's a very particular way of um, expressing differences of mm. opinion mm. and it tends to be very kind of I don't know paired back and subtle and if you disagree with someone you don't just say that you disagree with someone there's like a whole culture of saying mm. things very tentatively and mm. making suggestions and that for some for some other guests on um on what about us people have talked about that but really not fitting with the way that they expressed themselves with their mm. friends and family and that Absolutely. that was something that they really had to learn about um and change and that that was that was a quite a painful um journey for them so it's yeah it's really nice to hear to hear it described as this role that you can kind of hold on to and see yourself as having but also choose to not have sometimes when it's yeah. exhausting and you can remix that role any way you choose fit so two disruptors two people may identify as disruptors and have completely different ways of doing it and then again you might have a different way of doing it depending on if it's your team meeting versus if you're in a room in the therapy room and that's the beauty of those roles it allows us to be fluid I think you know, particularly when you're thinking about work around kind of challenging um, discrimination or anti-discriminatory practices, it also means that we need to embrace that there's different ways of doing it. Um, and so that's what I love about this, this model. And the model also encourages you to really reflect on how do your positions of power and privilege influence which roles that you take or how your roles show up. So for example, acknowledging that I feel more comfortable speaking about my cultural experiences because that is 
something that I've grown up with, but actually for other people that might be a challenge. So I notice that I hold kind of a privilege in that, but I also have to acknowledge that my story is not the only story when you're thinking about particular groups. So I have to be mindful of challenging the idea of the monolith or you know one the single story thinking about how you kind of redirect people to understand that this is just an um, example or um, an experience. Which I suppose is even more challenging when we don't have enough examples of diversity within the clinical psychology profession so then there's a risk of more single stories Mm -hmm. if if there is only one black trainee in a cohort of clinical psychology trainees or mm-hmm. one man or, or whatever. Um, yeah. And I'm just wondering, you've kind of described how you um, used that model in your thinking during training. How has the model been useful um, in your work since you've qualified? So we have, um, I say we, me and two colleagues, we have um, offered some training around working with difference, privilege, power, professional identities to um, the Surrey training course. So the same course I was on, it's so surreal going back full circle and offering that training at the very beginning of the new cohorts and really getting them to think about what role might you want to embody? Because what's great about this um, social change ecosystem is that it disrupts this idea of there being a hierarchy. I think often people think of disruptors as the main kind of yeah that's the way you create change right you're the one that shouts the loudest and if you're not doing that what are you doing you're not speaking up and that's hard to do as a trainee especially if you feel you've got imposter syndrome especially if you're going into a team meeting and there's lots of senior people around you especially if you've had difficult experiences that don't allow you to feel confident to speak up so it's a really refreshing way of being able to say well how could you embody this in your own way? Or what other role could you take? Because actually all roles are valuable. Maybe you're that weaver, right? The weaver role is someone who can see those lines of connectivity. So you might be a weaver by thinking about, oh, I know this organization that could come in, right? Or you might be thinking about a weaver in terms of ways in which you blend theories and models as you create formulations. Or you're the one that as a weaver, you just may not be challenged or you don't feel threatened by the idea that someone can hold their own lane, you actually see the ways they can complement. So you can be like, oh, that really matches this idea with this person's, right? You have that overview, that dot to dot kind of um, um, overview, which really helps people to bring it in. So I think it's a great way to start training in acknowledging you do hold power, you do hold possibilities for change. um, And just thinking about it within the framework of this model as a way of opening appreciation for new ways of working and you can also create your own roles you know maybe there's not a role on the social change ecosystem you might want to add a couple that's specific or unique to you and your way of working Mm -hmm. and I'm just thinking when when you personally have taken on that disruptor role or maybe the guide role in your in professional settings how what roles have colleagues around you taken on and have there been roles that you wished your kind of white colleagues or those with more power had taken on in those situations yeah absolutely so again because it's an ecosystem it's not just mapping yourself it's a great way of thinking oh I always used to get frustrated no one would speak up but actually I recognize that this person's more of a storyteller and that this person's a really good builder right they put things into action they make things happen so we don't just get stuck at the reflecting stage which I know is something very easy to do, especially as psychologists. Um, 
So what roles have people taken around me? I think it depends on the context. I think it depends on the topic of discussion. Um, there are people who are very dear to me who are often serve, who often serve the caregiver role to me. They're very kind of cognizant of the impact of the work on me and they will be the one to check in. They will be the one to really think about what spaces are needed in order to facilitate healing for someone who's constantly disrupting or someone who's, yeah, who's taking the risk of disrupting. Um, I wish I had more disruptors around me because then I would give myself more permission to lean back. Um, but I equally see the value of the experimenters, the people who are like, who can hear the idea and go, I can give it a try, that's fine. Okay, we haven't got the full plan worked out, but let's let's try it, what can we do? Um, and that's a role I definitely wanna continue to nurture. Um, but in order to do that, I need visionaries around me, people who can have a vision and have an idea and can say, oh, let's do that, great let's then experiment and see. So Martin Luther King would be a visionary. He had a vision that, you know, one day he'd imagine um, children from different backgrounds being able to play together. And at that time, it wasn't what he saw. So it must have seemed a little bit like a, is this, a, is this even possible? Is he like just completely dreaming? Um, but to now see that vision has come true, but you've got the builders, the people who actually did the work physically to try to facilitate that, whether this was trying to challenge legislations, whether this was about um, protesting, whatever it might be, right? There's the idea that you need everybody around you to help these things come, um, to, to come liable to, to, to happen, basically. Mm, mm. As I'm listening to you talk about this model, I can just really see the value in helping people to think about these roles. And there's something almost motivating about seeing the strengths that an individual can have and how they can be a part of that ecosystem rather than mm. just feeling like one individual and how much change can that one individual make. It's making me really want to come to the training that you do for the first year yeah, trainees. <laughs> well, we also deliver outside of that. So you're more than welcome to come, um, specifically for those people who are therapists and think about what does that look like in your role, um, whether it's in supervision, whether this is in your research, whether this is in just your team meetings. So yeah, it's a fantastic model that Deeper Eye has created. And, you know, it also kind of speaks to clinical psychology doesn't have to have all the answers. We can look to other kind of spheres and different disciplines to kind of get some inspiration around ways of decolonizing our practices. Yeah, it sounds so brilliant. And we will make sure that we put some links to your kind of profiles on social media and that sort of thing. So if people are interested, then they can follow you and find out a bit more about when you deliver those training events. Wow. Yeah, Nancy, it's been such an inspiring um, conversation. Thank you so, so much for taking part today. Um, is there anything that you'd like to, any closing messages that you'd like to give our listeners? Um. I guess I would just highlight that we're all part of an ecosystem and that we can perhaps take time to think about ways in which we contribute to the overarching value or um, uh, cause that we're working towards, whether this is anti-discriminatory practices. It's really thinking about what does this look like for me and what do people around me do? How can I complement that? What roles can I grow into? What roles do I need to step back from so that others can also help and adopt that role and how does my own power and privilege um, influence how I show up in these roles 
those are some really helpful questions I'm going to go away and think about those ones myself thank you so much thank you for having me well I hope you're all feeling as inspired as I am after listening to Nancy speak and we will be back soon with another episode which Afsana will be presenting and all that remains to say is do follow us on Facebook, Twitter, do check out our website as well which is still quite new we're still really proud of and we'll see you next time.